Hi. Hello. How are you? Good to see you, Scum of the Earth Church. Good time. So I'm on staff here, and I have been here, other than Mike and Deva, I think I've been here the longest. I uh, met Mike when I was probably 19, maybe 18. To give you an idea, Ethan Sayers, who is now in college, was four years old when I started coming to Scum of the Earth. Right. So there's been a long-standing thread of my life. This is silly. Going to scum. That didn't make any sense. I don't need that. This is kind of empowering right here to hold it, right? Sometimes you do the whole twist around your neck. Um, But I was thinking today, why do we have all these stations? Why doesn't music just progress and we can all listen to whatever's current and whatever's awesome and whatever's new? And instead of having our parents relive the oldie days with Cool 105 over and over and over, why do we have oldie stations? I kind of gave you a clue there. I think it's because people want to relive the glory days and say, man, that's when I was young and I had my mullet and my Camaro and I used to rock out and now, you know, I'm bald and graying and have my uh, Prius and I still want to listen to Journey. I still want to rock it out. Um, So I think that's why we have uh, all these stations is because it's comfort, It's a comforting thing for people to listen to something they remember. Um, For me, my oldies is Bad Religion. So if someone were to say to me, what do you think of that current new Bad Religion album? Honestly, I'm like, if it's past no control, I haven't heard it. Like, Suffer Against the Grain, the old stuff. I don't listen to the new stuff because I've heard about 50 awesome Bad Religion songs and they all sound good and I can go back to them. I don't need to keep current and spending, you know, 10 bucks to hear new bad religion songs. I've already filled, and I'm comfortable with what I've heard. It's good enough. Or for Scum of the Earth, um, if your mom offered you $1,000 at Neiman Marcus, a gift card, would you rather have that? Or if she said, I'll give you $1,000 to go to Neiman Marcus, and you have to trade in your Chucks, your Doc Martens, and your Warren and Levi's, would you take the deal? Yes or no? Some people would. (laughs) One young lady said yes, and she's like salivating over here. The rest of us, (laughs) no, 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 no. And I think it's because we like comfort. We like knowing what we know. We like wearing what we've worn. We don't want something new. We don't want to shake up the system. Um, Another metaphor for me was sushi. Back in the day, I didn't try sushi till I was 24 because the idea of it was like, oh, no. And I had never tried it. I'd never tasted it. But the idea of algae and raw fish, it didn't sound good together. And so I would, honestly, if people were like, especially like date times, you know, you're in your 20s going on dates, can I take you to sushi? No, you can take me to Burger King. Like, <laughs> I'm not eating it. And then when I tried it, I was like, what? Oh, what is that? What am I missing? It's like an explosion of awesomeness um, for anyone who hasn't tried it. I think it's awesome. So anyway, um, all of this to say, it's the same kind of metaphor, just three different takes at it because it's a, it's a wide audience out here. So I just wanted you to think and get it in your mind that oftentimes as humans, we bristle. We would rather choose what we know and might be kind of blasé over something maybe awesome but unknown, something fearful, something new. So we'd rather just choose what we know. Um, today we're continuing in our in our reading of Samuel. We're in 1 Samuel 8, and I use the NIV version. So if you have a Bible, you can read along, or you can read it up there. Um, 
So here we go. First Samuel eight. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel and the name of his second was Abijah and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old and your sons don't follow in your ways. Now appoint us a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it off to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people had said, he repeated it before the Lord. Then the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, everyone go back to your own town. All right, will you pray with me, please? Father God, thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your Holy Scripture. God, I pray that um, if you have anything to add today with what I'm saying, please impress that upon me through your Holy Spirit. Please be with every man and woman here today, God. Um, yeah, speak to us, God. We trust you and we love you and we adore you. Amen. So Samuel has grown old. Bummer. This is the awesome guy. This is the guy that Hannah, who could not have a baby, was praying for. Hannah couldn't have a baby, and she was praying and praying and praying. Finally, she had Samuel. And after he was weaned, she took him to the temple to be raised. And he's a good guy. He's an upright, awesome guy. Which, unfortunately, as it seems for the Israelites, they never get any good guys. They never get any good leaders. All these leaders are corrupt time and time again. But Samuel's been awesome. Um, but he's getting old. And so, unfortunately, uh, before he dies and before they go into chaos or civil war or something like that, the, the Israelites are coming together and saying, because he's a good guy, we want him to appoint our next leader. We trust him. So, Samuel, please give us a leader. Basically, because even though we like your sons and they're doing a pretty good job, they are corrupt too. 
they were working as judges. Um, they didn't live right where Samuel lived, but their love of money had made them corrupt. And so now, you know, the people are concerned and they want a king. And I think of Samuel having lived all of his life, he's old now, in the temple and serving these people. And you think of all the generations he has seen, all the weddings he's gone to, all the funerals he's gone to, all the baptisms. Um, I've been going to Scum for 14 years, and that's not very long, but for some reason I got really puffed up at about year five. And I remember when Mike Sayers invited Eric Bain to be our head pastor, and my maternal instinct for the church kicked in. And I went to Eric Bain, and I said, take good care of my church. (laughs) And he was being head pastor, and I'm just like on staff working like 20 hours a week. And he's like, your church? But you get this maternal or paternal feeling for a body. When you've been with a group of people for so long and you care about them, you really want what's best for them. The same happened when I met Josh Dillon, Josh Dillon, Josh Peebles. Um, When I met him, I wasn't sure. I got maternal. I got puffy. I was like, nah, dude, I don't know you. You haven't stuck around. How can you be on staff? And sometimes I get that way. And I can imagine Samuel, as he's looking at these people, is thinking, I want what's best for you, but what's best for you is the Lord. What's best for you is not going to be a king. But when I read this, and maybe when you read this, it seems like a logical request. It doesn't seem that weird to me. Why not? Why not have a king, right? Like, what's wrong with that? All kinds of nations have kings. Um, It doesn't seem like a bad thing. Okay, Samuel, you're going to pass away, and nobody's good. I think a good choice would be to have a king. Please don't smite me. Um, But Samuel, in his heart, it doesn't feel good. And probably because he's a serious, really connected man of the Lord, in his spirit, it doesn't feel right. And so what does Samuel do when it doesn't feel right? He sits down all the leaders and he says, no, you're idiots. You're wrong. It's going to screw up. No, no, no. He goes and prays. Of course, right? Um, As an example and as a model to us, we can learn that even though in our spirit, sometimes, and I I said this last time I preached, sometimes the spirit does something in us that we can't quite put words to. There's, There's a movement going on. There's a request of you or there's something that you're thinking about doing. And it just... I I know some people who are major thinkers kind of bristle at this, but I'm a feeler. It just doesn't feel right. That's a great time to go and pray. When you're troubled, when your spirit is troubled, when it's heavy and it feels like an elephant is sitting on your chest, good time to go pray. So Samuel goes and prays, and the Lord talks to him. The Lord really does. He's one of those guys, um, you know, for whatever reason, God talks to a lot of us differently, some through Scripture, some through each other, some through a sunset. And some, downright, just the word of the Lord. And so Samuel gets the word of the Lord, good stuff. And the word of the Lord is very detailed, kind of like it was with Noah on how to build the ark, nice and detailed. Um, And so a distressed Samuel goes and prays, and the Lord speaks to him. And in verse 7, the Lord told him, Listen to all the people have said to you. It's not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. And I love how the Lord tells Samuel a couple of times to listen. Because as a good leader, it'd be very easy to be like, no, I'm the guy. I'm the appointed guy. I've been hearing from God. You listen. I'll tell you what's best for you, not a king. 
But instead, Samuel is told by the Lord to listen, to have this humble approach to leadership, just like his father Elkanah, honestly. Elkanah did this when he listened to his wife, Hannah. He didn't say top down, I'm the husband and I didn't hear from the Lord. Therefore, my son is not going to go live in the temple. No, but it's been an example that has been shown to him to listen as a leader. Um, so we learn here that essentially a king is going to be a bad deal. King is going to be a bad deal because why would you want to change, exchange the most loving, most high, most sovereign, most providential, most just Lord is your leader for a fallen human being. Why? Why would you want that? They weren't satisfied. They weren't looking big picture. They wanted the comfort of Burger King over sushi. They didn't want to trust it. And wise Samuel looks at them and tells them very distinctly, honestly, there's this list. He says a king is going to take and take and take and take. And you people who I have lived my whole life serving to show you the Lord are going to serve and serve and serve. And not only that, but your kids are going to serve. Your beloved children and generations on are going to serve these fallen human kings. Because the king's not going to just give it up and say, oh, now back to God. God can rule you now, not my son. No, it's going to keep going generationally, right? So you can't get it back once you've given it up. And essentially, we're told that the men and women will have to be in military service. There will be confiscation of property and could and most likely will lead to enslavement. Bummer deal. Bummer deal. This king, this human king, will have no redeeming quality for Israel. And you think of Israel. You think of this nation. And... Some of us grew up listening to church stories. Some of us didn't. And I was always that kid that raised my hand at CCU and was like, no, I don't know the story. Tell it. Start over. Um, but some of the stories we, we learned from in the Bible before Samuel is that God has gone bent over backwards to save the butts of the Israelites time and time again with, with the, the exodus and with manna, giving them food, getting them away from their, their enemies helping them time and time and time again, he saves them. And yet now here they are saying once again, no, 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 no. And just recently, in fact, because Samuel's not that old, this is still in his lifetime, they just recently were saved from the Philistines. Last week we heard from Leah that they were up on Mizpah and they were worshiping the Lord. They were repenting, having this beautiful church service. And the, the Philistines saw it. And the Philistines saw they were preparing a battle. The Philistines saw this big group of Israelites in the distance and thought, uh-oh, they're ready for war. When really the Israelites were worshiping and having church and the Philistines attacked. And right then the Lord busted in and we're told he came like thunder. And he took care of his people. Um, it says um, the Philistines were subdued. And essentially for a long time throughout Samuel's lifetime, there's been peace. And now the people are stirred up as they fear and as they see Samuel get old and they want a king. I think of my own life and I think of the concepts of being set apart. We are Christians. We are the church, right? We're supposed to be set apart. We're supposed to look different. Right, right. You nod. We're supposed to look different. 
And yet there are certain little temptations to look like the world, to have what the world has, to not be set apart. Um, even if it's bad certainty, sometimes we would rather have certainty than something good. Has anyone ever seen that show Fear Factor? It's lame, right? <laughs> but I think of that, and I think of a game show where, where uh, the person would get up. He'd have like a little skinny microphone, though, like Bob Barker, the little pencil microphone. And he would say, um, Genevieve, I will give you $1,000, or you can have what's in this velvet bag. And in this velvet bag might be diamonds, or actually will be either, either diamonds, $10,000, keys to a bunch of new cars, or dead snakes and live spiders and brutal nasty razor blades with pus and diseases. Which would you rather do? And she's like, I'll just take the $1,000. I don't want to chance it. It reminds me of that kind of thing. We don't want to make a chance for something bad or something good because we're comfortable with what we know. Very comfortable with what we know. Um, oftentimes, it, I mean, that can be called a fear of success. I remember when I was 18, maybe 19 years old, sitting on the couch at Mike Sayer's house, and he said, this little Bible study of 20 of us is going to make a church. And I sat there, and maybe I nodded, but in my spirit, I was thinking, not going to work. We don't have money. We don't have education. We don't have support. We don't have anything. Like, <laughs> it's not going to happen. Um, and it, honestly, like in my spirit, it was probably a massive, I think it was a massive fear of success. What, what would it look like to take the jump? What would it look like to try something new for the Lord? What would it look like to have God be my king rather than the fear of my own strength and my brothers and sisters in Christ around me? And once again, it, all, it always seems to be a running theme that we fear men and women, more than we trust the Lord. We fear what's going to happen. We fear that we don't have all the answers. We are discontent. We do not believe that God has amazing, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive plans for our lives, although we see our brothers and sisters blessed. We don't believe that there's something better for us to be or to step into because... The world has given us lies, and we've swallowed them and believed them. And we haven't actively taken each little myth and replaced it with the truth of the Lord, found in Scripture and found in the souls of the men and women that sit with you, sit near you. The church is supposed to be reminding us of who we are, who our identity is. That is your job. If you're here tonight, the men and women in this room need reminded of their identity in Christ. They need reminded that there's something better there's something better than Burger King. There's something better <laughs> than the oldie station. We can try something new. We can hope and we can believe. Um, we can trust God as our king. We can trust God as our Lord and as our savior. Um, the reason we have fear is because we forget what Christ did. First John 4.18 reminds us that we do not have to fear. First John 418 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. 
And your generation knows this because Yoda told you. Right? Yoda's been telling you, you will go to the dark side. And if Yoda senses fear in you, you will not move forward. So how can we help each other move forward and get past the fear? How can each of us be a blessing? By loving well, by loving honestly, by being the scum of the earth and not being uppity and uptight, by being gracious, by being Christ-like to one another. Um, the rest of it in after verse 18 in 1 John, uh, verse 19 goes on to say, we love because he, Jesus, first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. If the Israelites were afraid, it was because they could not see God. And still today we cannot see God, but we can see each other. And we can be love. And we can show people the actions of Christ and point to Christ. And we can be an arrow. And we can keep reminding them.